This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome, Ascension, to the great feast of Pentecost. Amen. We celebrate today the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. You know him, Jesus says, for he dwells in you and will be in you. If you are a Christian here today, it is because by baptism and by faith, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. It is because the Holy Spirit has made your heart a temple of the living God. It is because the Holy Spirit has united you to Christ and is forming you into a little Christ who can love with Christ's love, who can minister and witness to Christ with great power and boldness. It is because the Holy Spirit has brought you into communion, not only with the risen Christ who has ascended into heaven and intercedes for all of us at the right hand of the Father, but with his multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational, worldwide family of God, which is his body, the church. Amen. This is what Paul says. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Praise Jesus. If you've ever wondered why sometimes we sing songs at Ascension, not only from England and America, but also from France, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from China, it's for this reason. It's to keep us from the heresy of denying the Catholicity the universality of the church, of thinking that somehow what we're doing here this morning at Ascension is distinct or differentiated from what Christians across the globe are doing. The body of which you have been made a member by the power of the Holy Spirit spans the entire globe. Because you see, Pentecost is the fulfillment of the good dreams of Isaiah in chapter 60. Nations shall come to your light. We see the beautiful beginning of this in Acts 2, in which each person present hears the mighty deeds of God in their own language. We have this microcosm that's present of the vision that expands to fill the whole earth in chapter 7 of Revelation, in which a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yes, palm branches in their hands because Jesus is the King of salvation. Amen. He is the desire of every nation, as Haggai chapter 2 says. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to apply the work that Christ has done to all the nations. But the mystery of the Spirit's work is even greater than that. Because we are all united to Christ in one spirit, confessing with one voice that Jesus is Lord, the fullness of the church, past and present, and its full geographic extension is present anywhere where Christians are gathered in the name of Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit because the Spirit who makes the risen and ascended Christ present also makes all of his saints present to us. Martin Luther said that whenever you pray, you must speak the amen firmly. Why? 
Because we must never doubt that God in his mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. Why does he say that? He goes on to say that we must never doubt that God will hear our prayers because we must also never think that we are standing alone. Rather think this, that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians are standing right there beside you. And you are standing among them in a common, united petition that God cannot disdain. Hallelujah! And this Holy Spirit, who is growing this body of Christ throughout history and throughout the nations, has seen you. He is intimately attentive to you. He has gifted you with spiritual gifts so that you, my friends, can build up the body of Christ. For to each, Paul says, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You hear that? To each is given the gifts of the Holy Spirit for building up the common good of the church. Now, especially for those of us who were raised in America, I must stress emphatically that the Holy Spirit does not primarily make individual Christians in a relationship to Jesus. The Spirit primarily makes a people who together, in unity with one another, are Christ's body. There's an African proverb that I think explains this well. It goes like this. I am because we are. I am because we are. I think that captures the witness of the scriptures about the relationship between the body of Christ and the individual Christian. I am because we are. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, once wrote this. Christianity is never solitary. It is never true to say that separate persons are united to Christ and then combine to form the church. To be joined to Christ is to be joined to Christ in his body. Individualism, therefore, has no place in Christianity. And Christianity verily means its extinction. This is Paul's conviction throughout his correspondence over and over again. The body is one and has many members, he says. The members are nothing outside of the body as a whole. To become a Christian is to be incorporated into a new kind of social order, the fullness of which is present whenever Christians assemble for worship. That is what the Spirit accomplishes. Now let me tell you how this is good news. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I am with you. That changes something for us as we think about that text to know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we assemble for worship, we are standing together with the church in China, the church in India, the church in Uganda, and saints of every generation in a common, united petition that God cannot disdain. When we tend to think of prayer as this small, paltry thing that accomplishes nothing, or maybe it accomplishes a little something, but what if each time we pray, our prayers are joined to the great chorus of saints in every generation across the world by the power of the Holy Spirit through whom we cry, Abba, Father? That's going to change something. What if you could become alive to that possibility even this morning? Right here in this assembly, as we pray and we hear the word of God read and preached, right here as the Lord himself feeds us with his own body and blood in the Eucharist, what if we are today assembled with all of his saints, those who have gone before, and those who are our contemporaries scattered across the globe? Because that's what it means as you, as you profess every single week that you believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Imagine how it would change and reshape your imagination and your prayers this week if you were aware of that 
if you were alive today. But look, being part of the body of Christ does not mean that you lose your individuality. What makes you who you are does not get swallowed up in the great ocean of the saints whose praises we join. Because the Spirit, Paul tells us, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And this point that Paul makes in Romans makes all the difference. Incorporation into this body emphatically does not mean becoming a cog in a machine. Because being brought into the body of Christ means being adopted as a son or a daughter, an heir to the vast fortune of the Heavenly Father along with Christ. And Christ tells us in John 14, 8, just right after the passage that we had read to us this morning, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, we are not orphans. We have a heavenly father who cares for us. We have a great brother, a strong brother in Christ. We are part of the worldwide family of God. The way in which Christ comes to us, the way he doesn't leave us as orphans, the way he makes us adopted sons and daughters, heirs of the king, no longer orphans, no longer alone, no longer needing to fend for ourselves, is through the Holy Spirit. My friends, if you are baptized, if your hearts are set in, with Christ in the heavenly places, you are no longer orphans. Because of the Holy Spirit, you have a heavenly Father who will never leave you or forsake you. You have a strong brother, Christ, who has gone into death itself to liberate you and to bring you into this family. This is your identity today. The greatest gift we can give to the world is to be able to say as Christians, I know who I am. I am a son of the king. I am a daughter of the king. I belong. This is my family. You are my family. You are family to each other. That's your identity this morning. This love with which we have been loved into this family is an unshakable foundation. And all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Archbishop Ramsey puts it this way. Through membership in the body, the single Christian is discovered in new ways and becomes aware that God loves him in all his singleness as if God had no one else to love. Do you see how intimately attended to you are, my friends? You are loved. You have great dignity because you have been made one with this body that spans the ages and the globe, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word that Jesus uses to describe the Spirit in John chapter 14 is a wonderful word with a great many meanings. He says this phrase, Alan Parakleton, another helper, another advocate, another counselor, another comforter. All of these are accurate translations of that word. All of them highlight different ways in which the Spirit is at work in you. In saying, I will send you another advocate, Christ was saying that he himself was the first advocate. And in fact, John uses that same word, parakletos, to describe Christ himself in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a parakleton, an advocate with the Father. 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the advocate. And he has sent another advocate. We see what it means for Christ to be an advocate in the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. He asks for the courage and the boldness and the power and the endurance of the triune God to be applied to the hearts of every member of this body so that it might be faithful and hold fast to the end. And the Spirit enables this through the Spirit's advocacy, through the Spirit's comfort, through its counsel, the ministry of Jesus himself is continued and prolonged in the church. Because you see, Jesus did not ascend so that he could get away from us. No. He ascended so that he could become more powerfully and intimately available to his people by the power of his Spirit. This spirit communicates the resurrection life of Christ, communicates his power, makes him available not just in one place, but everywhere. Where once Christ could only be present in Nazareth or Bethany or Jerusalem, now by the authority and the presence of his, of his spirit, the second advocate, Christ is present to all places. He ascended, as Paul said, in order to fill all things. So if you are a Christian this morning, in short, it is because of this story of Pentecost and of the Spirit being poured out on all flesh to fulfill the prophet Joel. Did you hear the prophecy of Joel that was our opening acclamation this morning? That is why you and I are, are assembled today. That is why we are here, because the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Now you know that expression, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Now, okay, number one. I hope you don't believe that, because exactly the opposite is true. Whatever nefarious thing you do in Vegas will haunt you all your days. But secondly, the opposite is true of Scripture. What happened in Israel? What happened through Christ? What happened to the apostles? It refuses to stay in the past. It's invading our reality right now. Because these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit impresses them upon our hearts so that they become our story. The Spirit breathes new life upon us, gives us the ministry of Christ because he is the author of salvation through these words. These words find good soil in the gardens of our hearts because the Holy Spirit plants Jesus deep in them through those words. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It has hands and grabs hold of me. It has feet and runs after me. What would happen if you started reading the Bible like that this week? If the Bible were alive to you, if it had hands and grabbed hold of you and feet that ran after you, what if you could not escape the power of Christ risen and ascended through the power of the Holy Spirit by reading these words? Now, this cluster of words, spirit, inspiration, inspire, all of them come from this Latin word, spirare, to breathe. And there is an intimate and close association between the breath of life and the Holy Spirit in Scripture and in the Christian tradition. And there are two Hebrew words which appear as spirit in the English versions of the Bible. One of them is the word nefesh, which means breath. What, what has breath has life for the Hebrews. And by this process of refinement, the word comes also to, to refer to the interior life of every person, the person's character. But there's another word highly significant for Christian, Christian theology, which is ruach. 
It can be translated either wind or spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. It is this wind of God that gives the breath of life and which regenerates us, gives us new breath so that Christ's resurrection life lives in us. And now you know how Father Joel's youngest daughter got her name. And I've often wondered this, but I've never asked before if, if there's kind of a significant connection between the three names that Father Joel and Karen gave to their daughters. Lucy for lights, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Eva for Eve, the mother of all the living, whose nefesh, her, her breath, her spirit, was breathed into her by God. And Ruach, the wind or the spirit of God, by which all that exists was created and is sustained in existence. Now, if there wasn't a connection, it was surely a remarkable and marvelous and fortuitous coincidence that each of his girls had these spirit-filled names. Good job, you guys. Good job, yeah. Now, there's no greater biblical portrayal of the Spirit's work holding all things together than our psalm appointed for this morning, Psalm 104. In this psalm, all living creatures, including humanity itself, are described as depending upon God's ceaseless creative activity. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. I mean, it would be difficult to imagine a more vivid account of the complete dependence of the world upon the constant sustaining activity of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's this close association between the Spirit and life, the Spirit and creation. And in the, the New Testament, the Spirit and new creation in Jesus Christ. Now today, because we are celebrating Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're also celebrating baptisms. Because baptism in Scripture is closely associated with both the giving of the Holy Spirit and our new creation in Christ, being born to new life in Christ. Now, most famously in John 3, where Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one may enter the kingdom unless he is born anothen, a Greek word which can either mean again or from above, both of which are clearly intended in this passage. Because Jesus says in verse 5, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, I don't, have this time, I don't have time today for a deep dive into the biblical theology of baptism, in case you were getting worried. But suffice it to say that Scripture presents us consistently with a thoroughly realist understanding of what baptism does to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are plunged into new life in Christ in baptism. We are given the washing of regeneration in baptism. We are incorporated into his people. That is what baptism does. It is a marvelous, wondrous privilege that is given to the church. Now, I want you to pay attention as we come to the baptisms, to the prayer that is called the thanksgiving over the water. See how closely associated water is with the salvation of God in Scripture. And remember, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, as Paul says in Ephesians. I am because we are. I am because this body exists, because Jesus Christ made it by sending his Holy Spirit. But you are also heirs and no longer orphans. You are seen. You matter. Hallelujah. Let us rejoice in the power of the Spirit today and every day, because Christ has won a great victory for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.